What is good, my fellow ballers? Welcome back to another episode of Ballin' with Tyler Todd. You, this past week, I had the pleasure of traveling to Colorado. For anyone that doesn't know, my dad and I try and we made a bucket list type thing where we try and scratch off a ballpark every summer. And it just so happened we decided to do Coors Field this time because the All-Star game was there this year. And we thought, you know, why not? Colorado's close. So we took a little mini vacation. And the park is legendary. My dad and I have done five parks so far. We've done Minute Maid Park, which is where the uh, Astros play. Coors Field, which is where we just were. The Rockies. Chase Field. I've been there plenty of times, but obviously I've been there, but my dad had not been there. So together we went there. Chase Field is where the Diamondbacks play in Arizona. Guaranteed Rate Park, which is where the White Sox play. That was like a couple years ago. And T-Mobile Park, which is in Seattle, which was the very first park we did. And it's been a blast, dude. It really has been something interesting and really fun, and I it's just a cool thing that we get to do. But Coors Field, man, it's really cool. Even though it's a bummer, they didn't have like a history section or kind of like a Hall of Fame area where they talk about the players. I mean, the team only really has been around for like 20-plus years, so it's kind of hard when you only have like one guy in your ring of honor, which is Todd Helton. Like, yeah, it's it's hard to do. It's hard to have a section like that when you really don't have a lot of history behind the team and not a lot of winning. And it's not anything against them. They just aren't they just haven't been a very successful winning franchise ever since they've come into baseball. And it's the same with the Padres. They they haven't ever since they've been around, they, they haven't done anything. I'm a huge Padre fan and they haven't done, you know, crap. So but regardless of that, it's been awesome doing that. But Coors Field, any baseball fans out there. Go to Coors Field. It's got this cool brick layout on the outside. It makes it look like an old school building. The atmosphere of the stadium was super relaxed. Good outfield view. We got to sit behind home plate for like $30, $40 because the team is awful this year. We did. The Rockies did end up losing. I mean, I, I could care less who won the game. They played the Cubs. And this is the funny thing, too, is that we had to see the Cubs after the trade deadline. So no Javi Baez, no Chris Bryant, no Anthony Rizzo, and no Craig Kimbrell. So we saw the B team literally days after the trade deadline. We got to see the, the, the B squad, David Bodie, Ian Happ, Kevin Wisdom, and a ton of other random guys. So it was pretty hysterical. But side note, when my dad and I the first day got some breakfast in the morning before the game, we saw David Bodie at Snooze. And then we later in the day when we were in downtown Denver walking around, we saw Ian Happ. So we saw two active Cubs players walking around downtown, which is pretty crazy. So I did that. I didn't ask for photos because I don't really like doing that with, you know, celebrities or players because, you know, I don't want to bother them. But, yeah, pretty crazy that we got to see them in public, which is pretty nuts. But regardless, any baseball fans, make sure to check out that field. Check out all the fields pretty much. But the most important one is check out Petco. <laughs> I'm going to be biased, but Petco is like top five ballpark in baseball. Don't at me. It really is. But staying on the trend of baseball, looking at the MLB power rankings, kind of a week after the trade the nine's been going on, where are all the team, the best teams stack right now? So obviously the Giants at number one. They have not moved for God knows how long. Record of 68 and 40. The previous ranking is their previous ranking was first, and they're still first. If you want to nitpick, or maybe it's more than that, you can say the Giants should have gone it gone all in for Max Scherzer to anchor their top of the rotation, even though their starters boast the force the fourth lowest ERA in the majors, or you can say they should have convinced the Angels to part with Rossell Iglesias, even though Tyler Rogers and Jake McGee have combined for a 2.10 ERA and a 0.91 whip while locking down the ninth inning. So late inning pitching has been great. The Giants are just kind of a weird story. I don't really I don't really know how they've been so successful. I think it's because of the starting pitching 
in the bullpen because they don't really have a lot of star players. And if they do, Brandon Crawford used to be a star. Brandon Belt used to be a star. Buster Posey used to be a star. I mean, he won the MVP before. They're in the twilight of their years. They're still playing good, but like, they're not like a you know a Vlad Guerrero Jr. or a Fernando Tatis Jr. or a Shohei Otani or a Mike Trout or Nolan Arenado. Like they're game changers, but they're not like superstars. They're just all stars. So it's been really weird watching them. But what they did do at the trade deadline was acquire Chris Bryant, an impact bat who brings useful versatility that makes him a perfect fit for the lineup. Also, what they did is ensure the National League West will provide a crazy race down the stretch. It's a three-team race for first, realistically. The Padres, unfortunately, my 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 Friars are really struggling. And I really don't think they're... It's not their year. And I hate admitting that, but I think next year is going to be the big one. We'll have Mike Clevenger back, Adrian Morahone coming back. Hopefully, Mackenzie Gore gets the call up finally. Hopefully, Fernando's shoulders healed up by then. It's just been a weird year. Obviously, we're still one of the best teams in the league, but the next team on the list, the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think they're going to win it. They're going to two-peat again. So the Dodgers might have once again put themselves over the top in one fell swoop. They've picked up the best pitcher, Max Scherzer, and best position player, Trey Turner, available before the trade deadline, adding them to what was already a ridiculous ensemble of stars. Scherzer will help anchor rotation, providing some needed depth with Trevor Bauer in legal trouble and Clayton Kershaw slowly recovering from forearm inflammation. He won't be back till mid-September, so it's going to be some decent time away from him. Turner, a shortstop by trade, will likely get most of his plate appearances in center field and second base, spelling Cody Bellinger, and when he returns to health, Gavin Lux. The Dodgers' talent was jaw-dropping in 2019. Since then, they've added Mookie Betts, oh boy, David Price, oh boy, Albert Price, Albert Price, Albert Pujols, Scherzer, and now Turner. Like, what else do you need to say? No one is beating them in a five or seven game series, or three. Wildcard series, no one's beating them. Divisional series, five games, no one's beating them. Seven game World Series, the conference, no one is beating them in any series. They have pitching, they have hitting. They have defense. They have a decent bullpen. They literally have it. They have athleticism. They have guys that hit for contact, guys that hit for power. They have speed. They have good discipline. They literally have everything you need in a championship team and coaching. Dave Roberts is one of the best managers in baseball. And oh, everyone's like, oh, well, the Giants are first had the best record in baseball. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They haven't played legit good teams. Yes, they've played the Dodgers. Yes, in the NL West. And they played the Padres, who are good, but like the schedule's been awful. Wait till they actually play like legit teams for a long time. Their second half of the schedule has been cake. Wait till they actually get into a real series with a legit team. I don't know. I think they're all on paper good. So we'll see. I don't really. I still think the Dodgers are going to win the World Series. That's my that's my hot take right there. Next on the list at three, the Houston Astros with a record of 65 and 43. Their previous ranking was two. Since the beginning of last season, Houston is hitting 10 points higher away from Minute Maid Park, 262 to 252. With the 15-point edge in OPS with 767 to 752, if you combine the numbers, the four most targeted members of the reviled 2017 Astros, which is Altuve, Correa, Alex Bregman, and the now-departed George Springer, the splits are thus 787 at home and 815 on the road. So basically what that's saying is, oh, hey, when they were cheating, they sucked, but now when they're not cheating, they're actually playing good. So regardless, they're cheaters, and I don't care. I'm not a fan of the Astros whatsoever, but... They've actually played very well this year, and I hope they don't go far because I don't like them. Anybody that cheats in the league, I'm not a fan of, so I hope they crash and burn. 
Next on the list at four is the Tampa Bay Rays, a, a record of 65 and 44 with the previous ranking of five. Tampa Bay is a force to be reckoned with. The team struggled a bit in June, posting a 12 and 14 record before going 16 and 8 in July to re-cement themselves as one of the top teams in the American League, climbing ahead of the Red Sox for the lead in the American League East. And the Red Sox have pretty much been in first the entire year. The team also traded away Willie Adamas, Rich Hill, and Diego Castilla ahead of the trade deadline. And I mean, still making it happen. And it shows a commitment to opening up opportunities for young, talented players. And obviously they brought up the number one prospect, Wander Franco, and he started off pretty good. So I like the Rays. They actually are. I actually wanted them, obviously, not even against the Dodgers. If it was anybody else in the World Series last year, I still wanted the Rays to win last year in the World Series, but obviously they lost. But I would like to see them be the team in the American League again to be in the finals in the World Series because I'm not an Astro fan. The White Sox are really good on paper and like are an exciting team, but I'm not too sure about them. The Red Sox are dope. They actually they actually may squeak in there as well. So I don't know. I just wish the Padres could make it happen, but it, they're just not going to. It's sad. Next on the list at five is the Chicago White Sox, a record of 63 and 45 with a previous ranking of six. While we wait to see how the White Sox bolster their roster for October, an interesting dilemma looms a few weeks into Chicago's future. Who will be in its playoff rotation? It's a question more about surplus than necessity. Chicago's primary quintet of Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, and Carlos Rendon has been one of baseball's most productive, durable, and consistent units in baseball of those five Keiko has probably been the least good this season, but he's the highest paid member of the rotation and has the most postseason experience. Because of those factors, it seems like Cease needs to end the season with the flurry in order to stake a claim. Also, they just got Craig Kimbrell. The team is nasty. Tim Anderson, Jose Breu, Yerim Mercedes, Luis Roberts, the list goes on. They have a bunch of talented position players, and obviously the pitching has been great. Those names are freaking Lucas Giolito threw a no-hitter last year and Carlos Rondon threw a no-hitter this year. It in Lance Lynn makes in talented players look like, you know, that they don't play baseball. There's a breakdown of him on John Boy Media on YouTube of him. Literally, Lance Lynn makes, the caption of the video is, Lance Lynn makes Mike Trout a bad baseball player. Lynn just attacks people with fastballs and does not care. And specifically Mike Trout, who destroys fastballs. And Lynn just destroys him with fastballs. Boom, boom, boom. Right over the plate. Just attacks him. Strikeout, strikeout. If you haven't watched Lance Lynn, watch Lance Lynn. He's very good. Next on the list, at six. The Milwaukee Brewers, a record of 65 and 44, a previous ranking of eight. Milwaukee's offense is much improved from the first half over the past week. The Brewers ranked eighth in OPS in the NL, including a 246 batting average. That's quite a bit higher than their season total to date. Willie Adamas and Avisel Garcia led the way without Christian Yelich in the lineup due to COVID-19. Boo-hoo. If Milwaukee can be middle of the pack in hitting, then it becomes a very dangerous October team considering it can pitch with anyone. And that's true because Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff are so nasty. And the Padres got smoked by them. I think the Milwaukee Brewers are the sleeper team. That could go toe-to-toe with Los Angeles. I really think so. Next on the list at 7, the Boston Red Sox, a record of 64-45, and 45, a previous ranking of 4. Route. While the rest of the AL East made moves to improve their teams heading into the stretch run for the playoffs, Boston decided to lean on Chris Sale to improve its struggling rotation and the acquisition of Kyle Schwarber to fill the offensive black hole at first base, despite the fact that the former Chicago Cub and Washington National has never played first base at the major league level. 
So my buddy Jordan was talking to me about this. If he plays first base and learns how to play first base, they'll be set for the playoffs. It's just going to be a tough task, obviously, because he's never played that before because they already have JD in left field who usually he DHs, but he's been getting the regular games at left field. So he plays outfield and he DHs. But Schwarber is just a, is an outfielder. He's been a left fielder his whole career. So that's the thing is they need to get him going on first base. And if they do, legit shot at the World Series, no doubt. Next on the list, my Friars, San Diego Padres at 8, a record of 62-48 and 48 with the previous ranking of 7. So we go down a spot. The Padres have had a rough past few days. They really have. It began with missing out on a top starting pitcher, first Max Scherzer, then everybody else. And then it continued with Chris Paddock and Fernando Tatis Jr. both landing on the shelf. Tatis is slowly making a good recovery. I mean, dude's been on the aisle three different times this year, so at this point it's just getting annoying. Paddock is nursing an oblique strain. Dude, it's just been horrible this year. Tatis, an MVP frontrunner. Once again, suffered a subluxation of his left shoulder, a circumstance that has the Padres pondering the possibility of season-ending surgery. That is just an awful, awful option that we have to consider with him right now. The acquisition of Adam Frazier, which makes it easier for Jake Cronenworth to slide in at shortstop, can help alleviate Tatis' absence in the short term, but it's hard to see them topping the Giants and Dodgers, let alone winning it all without Tatis over these next two to three months. The Giants, I just don't... I understand the Dodgers, but the Giants, I just, the Giants, dude, I don't know. I'm so over them. I just don't think they're World Series material at all. I really don't. Playoff material, sure. World Series, no. Next on the list at nine, the Oakland Athletics, a record of 61 and 48 with the previous ranking of nine, so they stay at the same spot. Oakland made moves to push for a playoff spot, adding rental outfielder Starling Marte in exchange for Jesus Lazardo, while also adding depth to the roster in Jan Gomez. Josh Harrison, and Andrew Chafin. The decision to trade Lazardo, a former top prospect and talented lefty, at the value of his value will be an interesting development to watch over the course of the next few seasons. Given that Marte will hit free agency after the season, they're one of my favorite teams in baseball, even though they're in California and obviously I'm a Padre fan, but they're rad. They're really sick. I really enjoy watching the A's play, but they beat my Padres um, on Thursday, which sucked, but they're a good team. Um, I think they just need help and. uh, I mean, I think in a lot of areas. I still think they're very good, but it's going to be tough for them because the American League is very talented this year, unfortunately. And last, we're just doing the top 10. At 10, the Toronto Blue Jays, a record of 56-49 and 49 with the previous ranking of 11, so they move up one spot. Toronto gave up a lot to add Jose Barrios from the Minnesota Twins in a move that will not only add to its rotation strength this year, but for an additional season as well, with one season left of team arbitration control, Barrios, Barrios joins Hyun Jin Ryu and Robbie Ray as Toronto makes a push for the playoffs this season, bolstered by the bullpen additions of Brad Hand and Joachim Soria. So that was their problem last year and this year. They needed starting pitching help and bullpen help, and they did just that because the starting lineup, the starting nine is so talented and young. Now they have some decent pitching. They'll squeak into the playoffs. I think they will make the playoffs. I just don't know if they'll go very far. But I see them getting in somehow. I don't know how because the Yankees are in that division and they've been playing super hot recently too. So it's kind of scary. Like I said, the American American League East and just the American League in general is scary. It really is scary. There's so many good teams. And it's just been – specifically baseball this year has just been – it's been crazy. It's been picking up. The National League West has been nuts. The American League East has been crazy. And the National League East has been pretty good too. So – it's hard with these power rankings to say, you know, there's going to be a lot of bias, obviously, like 
maybe the Blue Jays could have been higher. The Red Sox maybe could have been higher, but that's just how it is. But I'm just excited to see the rest of the season keep going because I just want the playoffs to get here. Because if heartbreak for my Padres is gonna is gonna happen, I'd rather it just happen now. <laughs> I'd like want it to get over with rather than like later because I know something bad's gonna happen. Especially being a Padre fan, we're just cursed that way. So anyway, this is pretty awesome. We got football back. NFL is back, baby. And our first NFL game of the season, we had a game last night. We saw the Cow- the Dallas <laughs> Jeez. We saw the Dallas Cowboys face off against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first preseason matchup of the 2021 NFL season. Pittsburgh takes the first game of the year, 16 to 3, a final score. Dwayne Haskins for Pittsburgh, 18 for 13 for 54 yards. So in preseason, you're going to see a ton of backups and quarterbacks. A ton of guys have you know, a ton of guys playing, giving different stats. Mason Rudolph, another quarterback, 6 for 9, 84 yards. And then Joshua Dobbs, their third string quarterback. Four for six for 37 yards. Had one touchdown. The only touchdown of the game for both teams. Wide receiver Chase Claypool. Three receptions for 62 yards. Steelers defense played very well. Forced four sacks. Three punts. Two fumbles and interception. Held the Cowboys to only three points. I despise both teams. Just such garbage. And especially the Cowboys. Everyone just thinks they're so awesome. And they're not. And for Dallas, the starting quarterback Garrett Gilbert. Nine for 13 for 104 yards. The running back Rico Dowdle, eight carries for 43 yards for an average 5.4 yards per carry. Wide receiver Malik Turner, four receptions for 47 yards for an average 11.8 yards per catch. The defense didn't play that bad either. Only allowed one touchdown and three field goals. The offense had more total yards in the passing and rushing game. The offense had more first downs and forced the Steelers to punt four times and had the ball longer than the Steelers. So overall, a very slow and uninteresting first game (laughs) to say the least but it's the start of something great it's the start of football football is back and I'm stoked for the Chargers first game more than anything and as a Charger fan every year I have to say this we look good and I have to say that but I'm probably gonna get my heart broken down the road but we look good on paper defense is looking good offense is looking good Justin Herbert second year is gonna absolutely explode and with head coach Brandon Staley taking the defense to a new level Playoff material, no doubt. So back into NBA free agency, that's enough for football. We had some big names in the market re-sign and also move. Here is more free agency action from this past week. So Julius Randle is signing a four-year, $117 million extension with the Knicks. Most improved player of 2021. One of the more talented power forwards in the league. 24.1 points per game, 10.2 rebounds per game, and 6 assists per game. Those are some rad numbers you want to see from a power forward. And I'm stoked because he used to be a Laker, and I really wish we still did keep him. But he's going to be a part of a really good young group in New York that's eventually going to take some really good strides later in the season. Lou Williams is going back to the Hawks on a one-year $5 million deal. A skilled veteran point guard, one of the most underrated players in our league, easily one of the best one-on-one scorers and dribblers we have currently in the league. He's won like multiple six-man-of-the-year awards. He literally is so good. This past season, 13.3 points per game, 2.1 rebounds per game, and 3.4 assists per game. He did play a bench role, so that's very understandable. He has started before on teams, and he he's just good. Watch tape of him. He's so good. Next on the list, John Collins and the Hawks agreed to a five-year, $125 million extension. He was a huge part of their success last year. Bringing him back is great for the franchise on the season. 17.6 points per game. 
7.4 rebounds per game and 1.2 assists per game. Definitely needs to work on his jump shot, but he's very athletic and can finish around the rim, and he fits the mold of what Atlanta wants in, obviously, in their team. Kemba Walker is signing with the Knicks after being bought out by the Thunder. He is an all-star point guard, will pair nicely with Randall, Derrick Rose, and Evan Fournier. Past season, 19.3 points per game, 4 rebounds per game, and 4.9 assists per game. The guy has been all over the place now. He was drafted by Charlotte to be, you know, the franchise point guard. He was later shipped out, and then he went to Boston because Boston needed help with point guards, and then that didn't work out. And now he's with the Knicks, and they have Derrick Rose as well. So I don't know if they're going to, how they're going to do bench and starting time, but Kemba Walker is very skilled. He's very clutch. He's very athletic. He can shoot from the three. He can play defense, mid-range. He's not like superstar, but he's an all-star. He he can be a starter on any NBA team. That's a fact. Next on the list, Ennis Cantor for the Celtics on a one-year deal. Backup center or starting center. He has a solid offensive game. Still needs to work on defense because he is kind of soft. Been around the league for quite some time now. This past season with Portland, 11.2 points per game. 11 rebounds per game and 1.2 assists per game. So he knows his role. Like, hey, dude, just come in. I guess give us some decent decent offense and just get us rebounds. Yes, the defense is kind of eh, but, you know, work on that and you'll be good. Next on the list, Victor Oladipo is going back to the Heat. Athletic all-star point guard, one of the more skilled drivers and finishers in our league. Partnering him back up with Jimmy B in Miami will be a lethal one-two combo at the point guard and shooting, car posi- shooting guard position. Oladipo's been one of my favorites ever since he came into the league. The past season, 19.8 points per game, 4.8 rebounds per game, and 4.6 assists per game. Next on the list, this guy is also one of my favorites. Spencer Dinwiddie is going to the Washington Wizards in a signing trade after agreeing to a three-year $62 million deal. Brooklyn is getting Chandler Hutchinson, a 2022 second-round pick, a 2024 second-round pick, and a 2025 pick swap. So the dude is a pass-first point guard. He's very smart. He definitely is a defensive-minded point guard over offense. And he just he does all the dirty work. He definitely is one of those guys you need to have on every team. He just is like the motor that gets the team going. He's not a chippy guy, but he's a guy you can look up to and be like, wow, I want to play like him. And Brooklyn just kind of did him dirty. I don't really like Brooklyn for doing that, but they should have kept him. But now he's going to Washington, and they're just awful. So I feel bad for him. Next on the list, Rudy Gay and the Utah Jazz have agreed to a two-year, $12.1 million deal with the player option. A talented veteran small forward. He's one of my favorite small forwards ever since he came into the league. He was, when he was in Toronto, he was my favorite player for the longest time. 11.4 points per game, 4.8 rebounds per game, and 1.4 assists per game. Rodney Hood is going to the Bucks on a one-year deal. A stretch small forward. Solid wing defender and score. Obviously scoring. He only, this past season, 4.5 points per game, 1.9 rebounds per game, and one assist per game. He wasn't a bench roll, so it's hard. But when he starts, he can give you some solid points and minutes. This one is frustrating. Andre Drummond to the 76ers on a one-year deal. A solid big man, a former All-Star. Was picked up halfway through last season by the Lakers. I really wish we did keep him, but that obviously wasn't in the plan. He's a dominant rebounder and defender. Offense does need some work. He was a horrible free throw shooter for the longest time, but he has worked on that. But he's just, he snags rebounds. Like there'll be games where he grabs 20 boards every game. And like teams need that, which is nuts. The past season, 14.9 points per game, 12 rebounds per game and two assists per games. I think with him leaving, I think the Lakers had something in mind. Obviously, they know AD can play the center, and we just brought Dwight Howard back, so maybe they felt they can just get a cheaper rental rather than re-signing him for some big-ass contract, so I think that's actually smart. 
Taz Gibson is going back to the Knicks on a one-year $2.7 million deal. A veteran power forward can start or come off the bench. Staying with New York helps the young core grow and improve. 5.4 points per game, 5.6 rebounds per game, and 0.8 assists per game. Next on the list, Patty Mills to the Nets on a two-year, $12 million deal. A floor general point guard can also make plays for himself. Really makes any team better when on the court. He's just that skilled. 10.8 points per game, 1.7 rebounds per game, and 2.4 assists per game. Carmelo Anthony is going to the Lakers on a one-year deal. So excited for this one. One of my favorite players. We finally got him in LA, and this is a perfect situation for him. He is in the twilight of his playing career. He's He knows his role in LA. It is no longer the New York days and Denver days where he was easily the most dominant point guard in the game. Like, so skilled. One of the most talented face-up fours we've had in the league for some time. His jab and one-on-one game are so smooth. Like, his jump shot is iconic, and so is he. Like, he's just so rad. And we finally got him to team up with LeBron, because that's been that's been in the talks for years. So I'm glad he's showing up. On the season with Portland, 13.4 points per game, 3.1 rebounds per game, and 1.5 assists per game. Another Laker... Uh, Another player going to the Lakers, Malik Monk, an effective three-point shooter, which is what this team desperately needs, and we got a young player in Monk who does exactly that. 11.7 points per game, 2.4 rebounds per game, and 2.1 assists per game. This is a big one. DeMar DeRozan is going to the Chicago Bulls in a sign-and-trade for three years, $85 million. Chicago is reportedly sending Thad Young, a future first-round pick, and two second-rounders in the deal to San Antonio. My favorite shooting guard still in the league, DeRozan is an athletic finisher and scorer and immediately brings an all-star pedigree to this young Chicago Bull roster who needs some veteran help and presence, and teaming him up with Lonzo Ball is going to be pretty awesome. On the season, 21.6 points per game, 4.2 rebounds per game, and 6.9 assists per game. Tony Snell is going to the Blazers on a one-year deal, a stretch four, can play solid defensive minutes off the bench, 5.3 points per game. 2.4 rebounds per game, and 1.3 assists per game. Kendrick Nunn to the Lakers on a two-year deal with the player option. A solid two-way guard. Really stoked we got him. He is a perfect guard to spell Westbrook off the bench. It's like literally the perfect scenario. I'm so glad we got him. He's young too. 14.6 points per game, 3.2 rebounds per game, and 2.6 assists per game. Is Smith is going to the Hornets on a one-year deal, a pass-first point guard, a floor general, can start or come off the bench, 6.7 points per game, 3.4 rebounds per game, and 3.9 assists per game. George Hill is going to the Bucks, veteran point guard, a two-way guard, 8.7 points per game, two rebounds per game, and 2.4 assists per game. Markeith Morris to the Heat, a veteran power forward. He's always been a better defender than a scorer. 6.7 points per game, 4.4 rebounds per game, and 1.2 assists per game. He was previously on the Lakers this past season and didn't really do too much. So I'm kind of glad we got rid of him. Brandon Forbes is going to the Spurs on a one-year deal. 10 points per game, 1.6 rebounds per game, and 0.6 assists per game. He's a talented three-shooter. Will Barton is going back to Denver on a two-year, $32 million deal. A two-way guard. He's been all over the place, but he's very talented. 12.7 points per game. Four rebounds per game and 3.2 assists per game. Hassan Whiteside is going to the Utah Jazz. An athletic big man 
can play defense and is excellent in the pick and roll. Finishes around the rim with ease and can literally catch any alley-oop thrown his way. One of the more underrated centers in the league. 8.1 points per game, 6 rebounds per game, and 0.6 assists per game. Definitely needs to get the rebound and scoring totals up because he's had better years than that. Andre Iguodala is going back to the Warriors. A veteran small forward who is an excellent wing defender. Helped the Warriors win three titles and took home finals MVP in 2015. Very underrated throughout his whole career. When he first started in Philadelphia, he was one of the most athletic guys ever that touched the court. Brings veteran experience to a very young Warriors roster. He rejoins up with old teammates Steph, Clay, and Draymond. 4.4 points per game, 3.5 rebounds per game, and 2.3 assists per game with Miami last year. He did not have a huge role, so that's why the numbers are down. Kawhi Leonard is going back to the Clippers. A top five small forward in our league. Extremely talented. Was out for the majority of the playoffs with a knee injury. He will have a big bounce back year next season. 24.8 points per game, 6.5 rebounds per game, and 5.2 assists per game on the season. Seriously, so good. I just don't like his attitude. He's just not a very, he's not a vocal leader, and that's how I've always been in sports. I've always been very extroverted in that sense, and he says nothing. So he leads by example, which is cool, but it's a very weird example. Next on the list, Kevin Durant. Agrees to a four-year, $198 million extension with the Nets. I think he is the most skilled and talented small forward in our league right now. LeBron is tied with him, but I give the slight edge to Kevin Durant. Easily, next to James Harden, Steph Curry, KD is the most talented scorer in our league. It's, there's no debate. His mid-range, three-game, inside scoring, on the block, around the hoop, dribbling. Dude has length and athleticism. He's a seven, literally a seven-footer that shoots threes. The list goes on, all right? He's literally is so good. This is huge for the Nets. And he's only 32. He still plays at a superstar level. This past season, 26.9 points per game, 7.1 rebounds per game, and 5.6 assists per game. And that is it, folks. That is all the major big trade deadline, or not trade deadline news, but free agency news for the for basketball. I'm excited for the next season because now we get to see all the new faces, new, new areas. Some of the big names, I'm actually... I'm, Kind of bummed for DeMar DeRozan because it would have been cool to see him. It would actually have been really cool to see him in Los Angeles, but he's more of an athletic finisher. He's not really a mid-range guy, and we really ha we have a lot of that in L.A., and we need more shooting because we have Russell Westbrook, who has never been a shooter in his career. LeBron James has never been a three-shooter. He's obviously been more of an athletic finisher, a mid-range guy. And then Anthony Davis He's not really a three-shooter. He's more of just a face-up four, very skilled around the hoop in that sense. But we really don't have any other shooters. That's why we went out and got Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk. And actually, Carmelo Anthony has actually been a decent shooter from three and mid-range as well. But obviously, he's in the twilight of his career, so it's been kind of down. But it would have been cool to see him there. I want to see him get one. He really has been my favorite shooting guard ever since he came into the league. Seeing him in the dunk contest... Seeing him in uh, seeing him in Terrence Ross in Toronto was just so rad. How athletic they were. Demar Derozan literally is just a, he just posters everybody. He's so he's so athletic. So I don't know. I like what the Lakers have done so far. I'm excited for the roster just at the when we get into the next season, see how it looks. But man, sports are going to be good coming up after <laughs> after baseball's done. Basketball and basketball and football are going to be sweet. But anyway, that is all the time we got for today, folks. Thanks you, thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of Ballin' with Tyler Todd. Have a good weekend, ballers. I'll catch you on Tuesday. Later.